Good morning, everyone, and thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I suppose that all of you know the song, Old MacDonald Had a Farm. I'm pretty sure you do, but have you heard of the story that happened in Old MacDonald's farm? Well, it goes something like this. The farm animals were trying to come up with a way that they could honor Old MacDonald for all of his hard work around the farm. There were many suggestions raised. Some animals said, let's wash his truck. Others offered to clean his windows and to clean his house. And some others suggested each animal pitch in to give him a small gift. But the horse's suggestion was the, was the most popular by far. The horse suggested, let's give old MacDonald his favorite breakfast. Egg and bacon breakfast. The chicken got so excited and said, yes, I totally agree. But the pig quickly chimed in and said, well, that's easy for you to say there, chicken. Hold on. You can easily get involved because you only have to lay the eggs. But I, on the other hand, I need to be fully committed to this because I have to die for it. Well, our lesson today is about commitment. Not just involvement, but commitment. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we profess our full commitment to Him. But what does this mean exactly? Today, we will talk about the cost of discipleship. This is a very important reminder for us today because it will renew in our hearts what exactly we are committing to as followers of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus calling people and inviting them, follow me, and then tell them he doesn't really care what they do after they believe and get baptized? If Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and our response is that it's okay for us to call ourselves Christians, while living worldly lives and not allowing the Holy Spirit to change us in order for us to become more and more like Jesus, then here's what we're doing. We are cheapening the grace that Jesus has demonstrated to us on the cross. Cheap grace, according to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the author of the book, The Cost of Discipleship, involves enjoying the grace of God without emphasizing the cross involved. Well, this is why our lesson today is very important. We want to celebrate the grace of God while at the same time recognizing the costs involved. And this is what we're doing this morning. We are going to remind ourselves of the cost of following Jesus. Jesus tells us what it means to be a disciple in Luke chapter 14. Specifically, Jesus tells us to count the cost of following him in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. In life, we want to finish everything that we start. If we're able to build something, we first want to know and make sure what the requirements are. And we know what we, and we want to know what we need to do in order to finish the job. Jesus is saying that it is the same thing when it comes to following him. Jesus tells us that that there's a cost to being a disciple. Jesus tells us you need to understand what you need to do or what it would cost you to follow me. But the question for us today is this. Have we really thought this through? 
what exactly does following Jesus entail? And what exactly am I committing to as a disciple of Jesus? We will spend our time this morning delving into Matthew's account of Luke 14. We're going to focus our attention on Matthew chapter 10 verses 37 to 39. We're going to, we're going to look into three, just three verses this morning. But these three verses will provide us with a concise description according to Jesus himself of what exactly discipleship costs. And this is also our scripture reading today. Matthew chapter 10 verses 37 to 39. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This morning, we will take a close look at Jesus' words to encourage us to renew our commitment discipleship. We'll start with the first verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In this passage, Jesus is saying that if we desire to be a disciple, we will need to focus our full attention on him. If our main focus in life is not Jesus, we are not fit to be his disciple. I know that is harsh to the hearing, but this is not my words. These are not your words. These are Jesus' words. Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. We could make many things in this world as our first priority. It could be our career. It could be our hobbies, our possessions, such as our house, car, jewelry, or money. And yes, even our most precious relationships, as Jesus provides in our text of examples. It could be our family, our children, our parents, or even our spouse. Well, we know that our first priority in life is, you know, you don't have to like tell people or write it in a paper, in a piece of paper, this is my first priority. Our actions will tell us and will tell others what our first priority in life is. This is, this, this is what we think about all the time. This is what we do all the time. We spend much of our time on this. We spend our money on it. This drives the biggest decisions in our life. This is the underlying reason why we do the things that we do. But you know, in this passage, Jesus is telling us that this is what we need to, this is where we need to put him in as the first priority. He should be the underlying reason why we do the things that we do. He should be the one that drives the biggest decisions in our life. He should be the one that we think about, spend all of our resources on, or most of our resources on. It has to be Jesus in his work. To hate our parents, spouse, and family members doesn't mean that we disrespect, neglect, or dishonor them. Jesus is not telling us this, because if he were, he would be contradicting himself because he taught against this. Jesus is simply using the contrasting language of love and hate to communicate to us that our love for God should be so great, huge, that our love for our family comparatively would be this small. And when people see, see that, oh, you hate your parents or you hate your family. In other words, God is telling us that 
he must be our first priority right here. And there cannot be a close second. The second place should be down there. But later on, we're going to find that this is actually really good for us. This is where life resides. This is the abundance of life when we do this. When we put God at the very top and others way down below. But here's an example of someone who did not want to put Jesus as his first priority. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dance and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dairy bury their, dead bury their own dead. When the man said this, you know, when he said, First let me bury my father. It doesn't mean that his father just died. We know this because Jewish custom um, tells us that they buried their dead right away and they never left out the dead out of the grave overnight. When you died, you went, uh, they, they, uh, they went and buried you right away. So the man here, when he said, let me first bury my father, he actually meant let me first wait until my father dies, and then I can go follow you. So what is he really doing here? What he's doing here is that he's simply giving an excuse not to follow Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. It would be the same for us today. The reason why we don't follow Jesus, the reason why we don't put everything down at his feet, is because we're still holding on to ourselves. We're still holding on to the world and excuses not to follow him. Another example is provided by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. You know, this example here that Paul provides rings close to home for me because I experienced this. I was in the military for 20 years in the Canadian Forces. Soldiering is not an eight-hour-a-day job. It is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year job. A soldier is, is always on call. You know, um, I may occupy myself with civilian matters. I could be at a movie theater watching a movie. I could be engaged in, in my hobbies. I could be, um, I could be um, going for a run. I could be working out. I could be engaged in volunteer work. I could be uh, fellowshipping with people, having people over. I could be looking forward to Christmas or looking forward to the first steps of my first boy, you know, seeing it for myself. But when my commanding officer calls, I drop everything and I tend to my duties. That's what I had to do because that's what I signed up for. I signed up for service. You know, following Jesus is the same way. Being a disciple of Jesus is not just something that you tack onto the many things that you already have. And when you get to it, you get to it. When you can't, you can't. Being a disciple of Jesus is a role that trumps all of the other roles that we have in this world. Being a disciple of Jesus is a lifestyle. It is a decision. But what can we do to make Jesus our first priority? Well, we need to put into action 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can't let our attention wander off to other things because our eyes are fixed on him. It is fixed. It's not moving anywhere. And when that happens, we're not distracted by things that seem to be more appealing, more pressing, or more interesting in this world. We're able to put everything in context. If we don't fix our eyes, if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, and we don't make him as our number one priority, you know what happens? What happens is that we end up being complacent spectators rather than active players in God's kingdom. I saw a quote one day uh, from the internet, and what I did was I adapted it to our context here in Winnipeg, because we talk about hockey all the time. So this is the quote. Christianity of our day is like a hockey game in which there are 12 players on the ice desperately in need of rest, watched by thousands of spectators in the stadium and in their homes desperately in need of exercise. When we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, when we move our focus around everywhere else, we cannot make Jesus our number, our number one priority. We get distracted and we become spectators, passive spectators, instead of active players in his kingdom. This reminds me of the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You guys remember that song? I love this song because it reminds me of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But there's a line in this song that I'd like, I'd like for us to pay attention right now. It says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What an amazing line. Jesus demands and he tells us that it will cost us our undivided attention, our undivided focus when we decide to follow him. Next, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10 verse 38, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus simply tells us, if you're going to be my disciple, you will follow me. Well, when Jesus came to earth, he garnered many followers. Literally speaking, everywhere he went, there were crowds that came to see him. He had two types of followers, though. He had spectators, like what we talked about earlier. Spectators and real followers. Well, many people were following him because they just wanted to see a show. They wanted to spectate. They were spectators. They wanted to see Jesus perform miracles, heal the sick, drive out demons, and perhaps be there in case Jesus decides to feed the crowd. Free food. He doesn't want that. That's why they were following Jesus. They were intrigued. He was a spectacle. These spectators were not interested in being disciples of Jesus. They're not interested in what Jesus really had to say. However, some people in the crowd were really interested in following him. They hung on to his every word. And this is the reason why Jesus spoke in parables to everyone. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus tells us why he did this. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. 
Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Jesus spoke in parables because he wanted to weed out the spectators from the disciples. You know, the spectators would scratch their heads when Jesus spoke in parables because they did not understand him. But the ones who truly wanted to follow Jesus, although sometimes they had questions about the parable, they would approach Jesus and ask clarifying questions as to the meaning of the parable. The ones who remained and stayed behind to talk to Jesus and learn more from him were his real disciples. Now what are we supposed to do then? Well, we need to decide in our hearts to truly follow Jesus. A Christian may profess their allegiance to Jesus and carry the label Christian, but they may not have the true identity of a disciple of Jesus. We cannot stay as mere spectators or consumers of what the church has to offer. We all need to be fellow workers in the vineyard of God. So what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does that really entail? How do we actually do it? Well, two things. Okay, And these are both equally important, and these are both interrelated. It means, number one, following Jesus means, one, to obey him, and two, to become like him. Following Jesus is to obey and to follow. It's uh, it's amazing because this is the good thing and, and this is the really neat thing about Jesus is that he actually did everything that he commanded us to do. So when we obey Jesus, all we need to do is follow his example. That's why they're interrelated. When you do one, you do the other. So what exactly about Jesus are we supposed to follow? What are we supposed to do or obey? Well, let's ask it this way. What was the number one thing that really moved Jesus? Or let's put it this way. What was Jesus known for in the world? What was he most famous for? If you ask somebody at work or in the sidewalk or anywhere else that, 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 that you know, doesn't matter if they're Christians, you know, do they know Jesus and what do they know Jesus for? What's the most popular thing about Jesus to them? They would probably say this. Oh, Jesus, he's the guy that got crucified. He was the guy that died on the cross. They may not know why he died on the cross, but they knew that he's the guy who died on the cross. This is what he's famous for. Crucifixion. Remember the American Sign Language for Jesus? I think I mentioned this before in a sermon or in a Bible study. The American Sign Language for Jesus is this. This. You know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible. Bible is Jesus' book. Tells me so. That is Jesus. Jesus, the sign language for Jesus is the two holes in the hands that have been crucified on the cross. That's Jesus. So what was he crucified for? Because this question would lead us to really know what Jesus is all about. And so it means that this is what we should be all about as well. This is what we need to, to grow into to be able to follow Jesus in. So what was he crucified for? He died to save the world. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Remember John 3.16. Jesus was all about his mission to save the world. So that means if we are to follow him, if we are to be like Jesus, 
We need to think missionally like Jesus did. God saved us for a reason. We need to look at each facet of our life and think about how we can offer it to Jesus in support of his mission to lead people back to him. In other words, let's use our earthly roles and activities and possessions and everything that we have around us as on-ramps for making disciples for Christ. For example, you know, let's talk about roles, right? Like I'm a father, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm a spouse, I'm, I'm a husband. Many of you guys are, 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 uh, are a spouse as well. You're, you know, many who are here um, uh, worshiping with us today are, spouse, are, are spouses, they're husbands or wives. Now, how are we going to use this role to make disciples for Jesus? And when I say make disciples for Jesus, I'm not saying just like, you know, converting people to Christianity. I'm also, uh, I'm also saying making disciples, maturing disciples, and uh, helping people to become closer to Jesus, even though they're already Christians. So as a spouse, I may ask myself, how am I growing in my relationship with my wife? How am I contributing to my intimacy with my wife? And as a husband, the first place where I need to practice my faith is with my wife. Why is that? Well, I want to help my wife grow in her faith through my example. She's the one that's closest to me. Together, you know, our, our, I, I need to remember that together our life, our, our married relationship uh, together is teaching my children how they should be when they eventually have their own spouse. My relationship with my spouse is crucial in my discipleship efforts. How about as a parent? Well, as a parent, we need to serve as good examples of what a disciple of Jesus should look like. You know, our children are smart. Our children watch what we do, and based on what they see, they know right away what our priority in life is. And chances are, this is what they will strive for in life as well. Because they see what we celebrate, they see what we are, what we delight in, and in their heads, this is what we love, this is what we like, this is what our priority is. As parents, let us show our children that Jesus is number one in our lives. That as parents, we practice our spiritual disciplines frequently out of love and devotion for Jesus. We pray, we spend time with other Christians, we, we look forward to worshiping with 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 with, with, uh, with with our brothers and sisters, we love to sing hymns for Jesus, and that as 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 Christians, we show them that Jesus is truly number one in our lives. Not our careers, not our hobbies, our video games, not our sports, not our friends. And we spend time with our children. We take advantage of the pandemic at hand and spend time with our children. We're already locked in our homes. Let's spend time with them. Let us grow a relationship with them, our spiritual intimacy with our children and with our spouses. This is our opportunity, and God has graciously given that to us. I know it's a pandemic, but God is giving us an opportunity here to really establish the base for our disciple-making efforts. It starts at home. But what about if you're a student or an employee? If you're a student, if you're a nurse, if you're an engineer, a carpenter, or a barista at a coffee shop, you are surrounded by people. 
You have friends, classmates, professors, coworkers, clients, customers all around you. Well, what can you do to um, to leverage this role for the for the purpose of God's kingdom? Well, do well in school or at work. Be the best student or employee that you can be. Be on time. Do your work properly without complaining. Treat others with respect. Be as positive as you can. Be an example to others in integrity, purity, and hard work so you can prepare people's hearts to listen when you finally share with them your faith and tell them about Jesus. Let's, uh, let's um, put into practice what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Paul is telling here, telling us here that it doesn't matter if you're writing an exam or filling out an order for a customer or dealing with your bosses. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for God and not for people. And when you do that, we will do our best because we're doing it for God. And our lights will shine brightly in front of people. And that, brothers and sisters, are some of the ways in which we can follow in Jesus' footsteps today by using everything that God has given us our possessions, our talent, our profession, our employment, our roles in society, and everything around us so that we can participate in His work of leading people to Jesus by first showing them her example. Finally, Jesus tells us the ultimate cost of following Him. Matthew 10.39, Jesus says, Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus tells us that the ultimate cost of following him is our life. We need to forfeit our life for his sake. Well, what does it mean to forfeit our life for Jesus' sake? Well, it means surrendering your life to Jesus and claiming him Lord over your life. This means living for Jesus and not for yourself. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know what? Denying ourselves sounds weird to, you know, to our North American ears. Because in our society, um, it is an individualistic society that we live in. In an individualistic society like here in Canada or in the States or any part of the Western world. In these societies, the individual person is number one. You know, in these societies, people tend to look at Jesus solely to serve themselves. We want Jesus to forgive us, accept us, protect our rights answer our prayers, heal our illnesses, um, give us jobs, you know, it, it essentially give us the best this life can offer. That's what we want Jesus to do for us. Because we only, you know, we have these blinders, we think about ourselves. And the notion of self-sacrifice, the, the notion of reaching out 
taking a, take, taking outside of ourselves to serve others, to obey to the point of death, and, um, and the fact that discipleship actually would cost us our very lives. These are not very popular things. But this morning, I encourage all of us to let that message sink in. Forfeit your life for Jesus, because your life no longer belongs to you. Your life now belongs to Jesus. You are a disciple of him. But why would anyone give up their life and pay such a high cost for following Jesus? That's a good question. Why would you follow somebody who doesn't even have a permanent home? He says, foxes have danced, birds have nests. doesn't even have anywhere to lay his head. Like he doesn't have the material things, he doesn't care for the material things that we all want. Why would we follow that one? Well, you know why? Because Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6, that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way but Jesus. That's why he can tell this to us. That's why he can sound harsh that this is the only way. That outside of this, you will die. That's why it sounds harsh, because he has to tell us the truth. He has to tell us his righteousness. Because if he doesn't, then what kind of God would he be? He would not be a loving God. He has to tell us that we have to leave this life and exchange it for our life with him as our Lord. We will lose our life if we lived it for ourselves, he says. The only way to have life and have it in full is to give our lives over to Jesus. Remember the parables of the hidden treasure and pearl? Seen us in Matthew chapter 13. A man found a treasure hidden in the field. What does he do? He hides it again goes home and sells everything he owns so that he could buy that field. A merchant found a pearl of great value. He's looking at this pearl and he's saying, this is the finest pearl I've ever seen. And I know in my heart, I will not see a pearl this precious ever in my life. So what does he do? He sells everything he has and buys it. Now, why would they give up everything they have in exchange for these treasures? Well, because the treasures are infinitely better and more valuable than all of their possessions. It's the same with us. We give up our old selves that are spiritually dead. You know, Jesus does not convert us into his light. We don't become Christians because Jesus wants to give us a better life. No. We become Christians. We got, we got converted because Jesus wants to make us alive. We're not good to start with. So we can be better if we're not good in the first place. Our old selves are spiritually dead. We're dead. We're no good. We are doomed to perish. And when we put on Jesus, we are given life. We are given a new identity. And we are given a heavenly purpose. In conclusion, Jesus requires us to be fully committed to, first, focus solely on him as our number one priority. Follow him and forfeit our lives for his sake. These, these things are the cost of discipleship. You know what the best part of giving our lives over to Jesus is? The best part is that we don't become better. We become the best version of us 
in all of the roles that we play in life. We become the best spouse that we can be. We become the best parent that we can be. The best child, employee, student, neighbor, and servant, and citizen that we can be. Let us all be committed to a heart that can sing out loud. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'll follow him.